Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode, Group F, Hungary. Today, we're heading to Budapest to speak to my old friend Peter John Cresswell about the Hungarian national team. Peter John has lived in Budapest for many years, working as a writer and editor. He knows his stuff about football, that's taken for granted. But the reason I was particularly keen to speak to Peter John is that he is the author of The Rough Guide to European Football, which is the book that launched a thousand weekend trips to Europe and kick-started a whole new genre of football-related travel writing. So he's got a lot to answer for. These days, Peter John runs a website called liberoguide.com, which is a phenomenal resource with details of more than 500 stadiums and football grounds around Europe. And Peter John has visited every single one of them. Now, Budapest is preparing to host Hungary's first two Euro group games, as well as a round of 16 game. And at the time of recording this, they're also pitching in and hoping to take on games that were scheduled to take place in Munich, Bilbao and Dublin. And of course, Budapest has already this season hosted Champions League games that that couldn't be hosted elsewhere. The immunisation programme is well advanced in in Hungary and they are hoping to have substantial crowds in the Ferencpuskas arena. So Budapest could actually become a real hub for the tournament, especially if... As expected, travel is opened up between Budapest and the rest of Europe. So Peter John, as a Budapest resident and a football stadium guru, is the man to speak to about the Euros as this pan-European event, but also the Hungarian national team. Now, legend has it that spritzer, white wine spritzer, was invented in Hungary. So grab a glass or fizzy fruit spritzer, or if you fancy something stronger, a glass of Unicom herbal liqueur. Stick in your headphones as we find out all about Hungary with Peter John Cresswell. Peter John, Hungary qualified for a second successive Euros in dramatic style, coming from behind to beat Iceland in injury time in the new stadium in Budapest last November. Have people calmed down from that amazing night last November? What's the what's the mood in Hungary ahead of the Euros? Well, the mood is very upbeat, Gavin. Um, it, not just, the, I mean, obviously the stoppage time goal and the way that the hero of the day, 20-year-old Soboslai, took the goal in a stadium built to host the Euros, in which Hungary wouldn't have played if he hadn't broken through from inside his own half and scored that amazing goal in stoppage time. But even so, you know, they've, um, Hungary have gone six 
competitive internationals without defeat, including the, the recent World Cup qualifiers, um, which is, I think, is the first since the early 70s. And they've not, beat, they've not played and beaten bad sides. You know, Serbia are decent. Even Iceland are decent. You know, um, Russia, they, they drew once and then uh, their most recent defeat was Russia. And they beat Serbia in Serbia. These are really decent results at the level that Hungary is at. Um, but obviously, the impetus of, of that goal, um, the stadium, although Budapest has since, has since hosted Champions League group games in an empty stadium, Man City, Liverpool, etc., you know, the, just the, the whole the whole effect of that Soboslai goal. You just knew that every single living room in Hungary was going do lally bananas. You know, at, in the ninety third minute, was going absolutely ape. So, it, I mean, it, obviously, if the stadium had been full, it would have been um, a more memorable, photogenic moment, let's say. But you, you know, Soboslai earned a contract with RB Leipzig, practically on the strength of that goal. Yeah, I mean, we'll go on to talk about Sobosla a bit more because he's sure. the new star. I mean, that, going back to the qualifying campaign, there were there were mixed results, weren't they, really? Because they finished fourth in the group behind Croatia, Wales and Slovakia. So in, in, in normal circumstances, in the old format, they wouldn't have come anywhere near qualifying for the tournament. But because of this new playoff format, because of the Nations League results, they were able to come through uh, and, and qualify for a second successive tournament. Um, so mixed results, but I guess one of the benefits of the campaign was the emergence of, of, of Soboslai because he's, he scored the amazing goal, as you said. He seems to have this remarkable talent for, for long-range shots and free kicks. He's still only 20, but he's being talked about as this new superstar that Hungarian football has lacked for, for many years, really. Did they need someone like him to come through? Because quite a few of the key players from 2016 and, and the Euros in France have now retired, haven't they? Well, they retired almost immediately after the tournament and very key players, um, Kirai, the goalkeeper, Geta especially, um, and Juhas, the centre-back, uh, who was at Anderlecht. Those three key players retired almost immediately, if, if I think, and um, Jujak kind of faded out uh, in the last couple of years. Um, he was another key, key motivator as well, a key figure. So yes, you're right. They do need this this kind of um, this kind of poster boy, if you like. And obviously, the, the the caveat to that is the fact that he's not played a game since December. Yeah. But the fact is that Ross has got to make a very very tricky decision when when it, whenever the deadline is to announce the the Euro squads, um, because he's not played any first team or any football. He's been training apparently, but um, you know it's now mid April. Yeah. So, or late, you know, third week of April. So, um, he's got to come to. A, he's got to make a difficult decision because this is a twenty-year-old who's earned almost single-handedly earned Hungary the right to host games in their own stadium, which is a, literally a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So, to take that away from Sobislav would 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 obviously be a, a major decision. Yeah, I mean, you, you you mentioned the move to Leipzig because he moved in January. There was a lot of talk that he would move in the summer with you know, teams in England and Spain, big teams in Spain linked to him. But he, 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 he did this now familiar route from Salzburg to Leipzig, sort of the Red Bull transfer. But like you say, he <laughs> hasn't played. And that's a potentially a huge problem. But in the March World Cup qualifiers, the results went pretty well, didn't they? And Rossi seemed to be, he seemed to be building his team around Sobislav. But, but the, the results in March uh, were pretty good, weren't they? 
Well, I think um, one factor is the fact that Kleinheisler, who was a, a major figure, in fact, got hungry to Euro 2016 with his, his another wonder goal um, in Oslo in the first leg of the playoffs, Euro 2016. He kind of, he went, he, he was transferred to uh, Bremen and didn't really, didn't really work out in a couple of the transfers, but he's come into his own now in Osijek in Croatia. And he's having, he's really in form and Osijek are playing really well. They're kind of a semi-Hungarian, semi-Croatian side, which we may come to in, in, later in the conversation. But basically Kleinheiser has come back into contention and he's back in form. And he played really well in, in the recent qualifiers. And in, in fact, um, if, if you'd asked a Hungarian fan for the first game, which was home to Lewandowski's Poland, would 3-3 be a good result at home? He would probably, the fan would probably say yes. But in, in actual fact, they were 2-0 up. Hungary were 2-0 up. And so I think there's a slight edge of disappointment. And then, you know, these days, they just really roll over the likes of, you know, San Marino and Andorra. Um, not that it's easy, because um, Andorra were, were very physical to the point of, you know, I mean, basically they kicked Kalmar, a key figure in the midfield, out of the tournament. You know, so this argument that, you know, should the Minnows take place, you know, should the Minnows take part in, in qualifying with all the other, you know, so-called big uh, countries, because Andorra just kicked Hungary off the field for, for a lot of that game. You know. Yeah. So Kalmar's out of contention. Um, so if there's no Soboslai, then obviously Rossi, the, the coach, has has to rethink the midfield a little, I think. Yeah, and you, I mean, Soboslai has moved to Germany, hasn't played yet, but he's joined, he's got new teammates in in Leipzig, in defender Willy Orban and, and keeper uh, Peter Gulacci. Uh, spare me my hat, I, mean, I apologise for my Hungarian <laughs> pronunciations. Striker Adam Selai as well at, at Mainz. But most of the squad play the club football in Central and Eastern Europe. You mentioned Osijek in Croatia as being a sort of one of the destinations. The majority also in Hungary, not many in major leagues, only the guys in Germany. Is that seen as a problem or is it something that, that's overcome when they come together and they're able to form more of a sort of unit as the national team? Well, I mean, coming together is obviously important, certainly in the case of Salai, um, the, the forward, who's another Euro 2016 veteran who scored not only scored the first goal against Austria in the first game in Euro 2016, but like dove into the crowd. Uh, I mean, it's this, this iconic shot of Salai being swall engulfed, swallowed up by these uh, huge, great Hungarian fans in, in the crowd. And, uh, and, and certainly I was at the, the post-Euro celebration the day after they were knocked out by Belgium on, on Hero Square here in Budapest. And, and Salai was like leading the dancing. He's obviously this huge motivator, Salai. And he will, he will, I mean, this is his last major tournament. Yeah, he will, he will sweat, you know, and he's, his whole professional career, if I'm, if I'm right, has been outside of Hungary. He's always played in, I think, Germany or certainly abroad. So the, the coming together is a major thing for players like Salai. The other thing is that the main club who actually finished Farish, who won the title last night, funny enough, they had a very good run in the Champions League. Um, so they, they, you know, their their players have, have been up against Ronaldo, Messi, Juventus, and Barcelona, and they beat Celtic. And so players such as say Shiger in the Hungarian midfield, who's like a decent, a very decent midfielder, kind of a very boisterous, always smiling character. His career came on leaps and bounds purely because of the Finnish Farish run in the Champions League. You know, so that was a major factor um, in terms of confidence boosting and and international experience. You mentioned Rossi, the coach, Marco Rossi. He's an Italian, 
didn't really make a name for himself in Italy. Yeah, he, but he's a guy with a lot of experience in the Hungarian league. How's he viewed in Hungary, and and what's his sort of relationship with the public and the media? Is is he a popular figure? He's very yes, obviously having you know Hungary having qualified, um, but also I mean he uh, he led Honvéd to the title in 2017, which is the first title for 24 years, which is a big deal. And um, and then he went to um, Dats. Um, which is the Hungarian-speaking side in Slovakia, and they're doing very well, and they're challenging Slovan Bratislava for the title, or at least they're up there. You know, they're up there. So, but Ross is a very popular figure, and he, he um, are very respected. And actually, for the game against Iceland, I think he had COVID, or he had some issue whereby he had to quarantine, and his assistant was put in in charge. And the, and after the game, there were all sorts of messages from the from the players, you know, thank you, Rossi, and we were here for you, and all that kind of stuff. And he speaks uh, decent English to the media, because I speak Italian generally, in post-match interviews. And um, I think Hungarians just historically and generally, they lean more towards an Italian style. You know, they prefer, there's an old, like almost cultural alliance with Italy, um, whereby, you know, the German style imposed by Ben Stork and Andreas Muller, in fact, um, in Euro 2016. You know, hung- Hungary obviously respects Germany, German football, but they're a little kind of, oh, it's a bit mm, mechanical discipline, whereas they think themselves more of more kind of Latin with a bit more flair and, and perhaps more defensive discipline. And so, yeah, the short answer is he's very respected. I'd like to talk a little bit more about, though, the tactical options that, that Rossi's got. First, let's take a quick break. Right, back talking with Peter John about Hungary. Peter John, Rossi, the coach, played a, a sort of four back four and a four-two-three-one, if you like, a sort of standard formation in, in the qualifiers, but he switched to a back three for the playoffs, and he seems to have stuck with that through the, the Autumn Nations League games and the, the World Cup qualifiers in March. Will he go with a back three, and how does that how does that set the team up? Are they quite um, defensive-minded? Uh, do they play on the counter-attack? What's the what's the style of play with that back three? Well, I mean, I think you're, you're right. Um, they, they switched to a three-five-two, which I think um, I'm sure is, is how um, Rossi set up his successful Honved uh, side in the 2016 successful 2017 rather title run. So I think I think having the five in the midfield. And he uses the flanks a lot. Lovrencic, for example, will switch flanks at any at several points during the game. So I think they're comfortable with three-five-two system. It means they crowd out the midfield and uh, Nodge Adam Adam Nodge, who's the who was another was a discovery of Euro 2016. He tends to sit back and he won't venture further than sometimes not even further than the halfway line. But he'll pick up loose balls, he'll make five, ten-metre meter passes, and he'll just keep everything ticking over and, and just defend that, that back three. The back three, uh, given Orban's uh, form with RB Leipzig and his understanding with Gulachi, the goalkeeper, uh, means that the back three is, is pretty solid and there's a lot of support and raiding on the flanks that's very important. Even with Nagel, who's a, a naturalised um, Hungarian, but came through the French um, uh, academy system, which is obviously a very high standard. So he 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 may play a part in the first eleven, given given the, the potential absence of, of Soboslai and definite absence of Kalmar. Um, but there's, there's quite a lot of you know, there's quite a lot of speed in the team, 
up front, two up front tend to play off each other quite well. We talk a lot about the Soboslai won the goal of, 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 to qualify for the Euros, but, you know, players had to run off and, 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 and take defenders with them in order to create that space for Soboslai to do what he did, you know. Yeah. Soboslai seems to be the key to things. If he's not there, there seems to be a major problem. And you mentioned Kalmar got injured in the March games and um, is, is, is out of the Euros by, by the looks of it. Does that leave a lot of pressure on Kleinheisler in the, in, in the midfield and also the wing-backs? That's where the sort of creative spark's going to come from. Is that right? I don't think... No, I, I think Kleinheisler will revel in it because um, if memory serves in the crucial... in their knockout game, because Hungary came through... I think they, they actually topped their group at the year amazingly topped their group at the, at the Euros in 2016. And the, the knockout game was against Belgium, who obviously one of the fancy teams to win the tournament. And I think Kleiser was injured in the warm-up for that game, if memory serves. So I think he's got... And plus, his career kind of went on a bit off track for a couple of seasons. So I think he's, he'll, he'll revel in that in the responsibility, yeah. to be honest with you, Gavin. He'll, he'll, um, he'll, he'll, he'll thrive. I think a massive, massive, major factor is the fact it's being played in Budapest at the Pushkash Arena with, they're saying, up to 100% fans. And the place will be buzzing. <laughs> no. So that's a major factor. And this happens, this never happens in anyone's lifetime. This is yeah. once in a lifetime stuff. You know, yeah. so they're not going to feel say if this is Italy and the team wasn't doing so well, hadn't, you know, and the game was nil nil after 15, 20 minutes, you could kind of sense fans at the Stadio Olimpico kind of, you know, et cetera, but not here, even if they go one behind, even two behind, because they've got a group of death, basically. They'll, they'll, they'll rise to the occasion and they'll, they'll, they'll leave every drop of sweat on, on, the, on the turf at the Bush Coast Arena. That's absolutely for sure. Yeah, you mentioned Adam Selai, the captain, striker, centre forward, taking part in those celebrations with 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 people after the the Euros, and he seems to be a central figure as a personality in the dressing room, and, it, and he's the first choice centre forward. There don't seem to be that many options in attack alongside him. There was a, a recall, wasn't there, for Nikolic, the veteran striker, now thirty three, recently. So. Is it down to Salai as the main striker, or are there other other options? No, there's a there's a similarly named uh, Shalai, uh, who's had a, who's having a great season at Freiburg right now. Um, I think he scored at the weekend, set up two goals. So I think we're looking at Shalai Salai, uh, right. forward duo, yeah. uh, with Nikolic as an impact sub. Um, Nikolic was born to score goals, basically. You know, he's, he was being top league scorer in NBA Edge, which is the main league here in Hungary, in the extra class for in Poland and uh, in, in, in MLS, you know. So he was just, he's just a born goal scorer, you know. And, and also another good influence on the team because um, I think he could have opted to play for Serbia, um, but chose Hungary instead, as many do. But you're right, Saleh is the key character for, for different reasons. You know, to go back to those celebrations after Euro 2016 at Hero Square, um, what I what nobody realised here here in Budapest. So I wasn't in France. I was in Budapest watching this, and um, there was like an old guy, an old Hungarian guy, who was like a folk dancer kind of, almost like a 
like a Bez character, but in, in Hungarian folk terms. And before each game at Euro 2016, he would lead this kind of Hungarian folk dance song type thing, you know, to, to, to rouse the team. And so for the, and they continued this for the Euro celebrations on Hero Square. And of course, who's the guy dancing all the folk dancing and, and leading all of it? It's Selai. You know, and, and so he's, you know, he's, he's like Hungarian through and through. Although his age might count against him, you know, if they go beyond the group stage and, and, the, and the kind of um, the stamina you need for that, for that, you know, and they're playing some very good teams. He, 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 he's, a, he's a very key figure up in, in the forward line, that's for sure. Okay, and, and, and are there any sort of potential surprises in the squad? Is there anyone that the public are calling for to, to, um, to be included in the squad? Or is, is Rossi got a pretty good idea of, of what his squad's going to be, injuries permitting? Yeah, I think that the squad, obviously, depending on, on, on the Soboslai situation, the, the squad is pretty much set now. I don't, there's no, I don't think there's many calls. I mean, there's, for example, Varga, uh, who scored a wonderful last-minute goal against um, Turkey in, in the Nations League, that put Hungary into the A group of the Nations League for 2022. You know, he's coming to contention. He's bound to be part of the squad and the setup. But apart from that, I can't see there being any late surprises, really. You know, it's, it's pretty much set in stone. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the new stadium because you are the man to talk to about stadiums and, and travel, football travel around Europe. I want to talk about the new stadium in Budapest, which is going to be obviously hosting matches. First, let's take another quick break. Right, back talking with Peter John about Hungary. Um, Peter John, Hungary, Hungarian has a, a rich tradition in, in football, um, dating back to, to the, the mighty Magnars and, and Pushkas and that, their heyday in the 50s and beating England at Wembley, in that famous game that sort of changed the course of English football history, really, because we had England became more outward looking after the Hungarians <laughs> thrashed them at Wembley. Do people still reference that team? And are, are the younger generation aware of the history? And is there frustration that Hungary are no longer a, a major power? Because the new stadium is obviously named after Puskas and, and there's, there's clearly links, aren't there? So obviously every Hungarian is aware that they, that they lost the World Cup final in 38 and they lost the World Cup final in 54. That's, that's, that's part of a, a person, like a Hungarian's education, if you like. But I think the momentum behind this current side and the phenomena of Euro 2016 which was a phenomenon here. You know, the streets, you know, the trams were stopped in, in, on the Notkarut, on, the, on one of the main streets in Budapest, celebrating after each game. You know, it, the, the nation just went bananas. And, and not to mention what was happening in France, you know, in terms of the huge fan, um, fan following there. So I think that's, that, that has changed things slightly in that for, for many years, certainly after the mid to late 80s, for those all those decades when they didn't qualify for 40 years when they didn't qualify for a finals i think there was a lot of looking back not just nostalgia but with a kind of feeling that oh god we're never gonna be that good again and the fact is that since certainly for 2016 and this recent year that's changed and a lot of young kids will be will be following the hungry side so i think i think there's a whole there's a whole new impetus behind the hungry national side that wouldn't have been there you know, in 20, say, 2015, even, you know. Uh, and what's your take on the new stadium in Budapest, named after Ferenc Pushkas? It's a modern stadium, and you've... Uh, that modern stadiums 
don't always capture a lot of personality, do they? Can be anonymous arenas. What's as someone who writes a lot about stadiums and visits a lot of stadiums? What's your take on 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 the new place? Well, I mean, it, obviously, it keeps the link with with Pushkash. I mean, Pushkash, there's photographs of him and his teammates carrying wheelbarrows of bricks um, to actually build the original Stadium in '52, which is the the first iteration of this stadium, which was through the '50s and it was reconfigured and renamed Pushkash Fadet Stadium uh, sometime in, early, in the early 2000s. Um, so that link was already there. And also the nearest metro stop is, is also named after him. So, so there's, a, there's a long link with this, with Pushkash and, and, that, and what they call here the Golden Team. And I think the original idea was to keep the whole exterior of, of the original, because it's, it's a heritage you know, building, but I think they've kept they've they've kept certain elements of that exterior design to, to keep the link with history. But it's a whole new stadium, you know, done out in in Hungarian colours. And the fact is, we don't quite know yet how it's going to be with when it's chocker full of fans and there's a major game going on. You know, because that by definition, it's it's you know, sadly, the recent success of qualifiers has been in an empty stadium. But it's also, I mean, it's fair, it's, it's in the city centre, which is another factor. You know, a lot of these new stadiums, say, say the one in Istanbul is going to host the Champions League final again. You know, it's miles out of, out of town. This one, you, I mean, from here in this flat, I could walk to it in probably 15, 20 minutes. You know, everything. So it's, it's, it's within town. Um, it's one metro stop and, and a 10-minute walk, not even, from, from the main railway station here in Budapest. You know, so it's, it's part, of this, part of the urban fabric, if you like. And um, a, a 68, 69,000, I think it's capacity, which is just right, actually. So um, obviously it's part of a huge um, building of new stadiums, new football stadiums here in Hungary, which is a yeah. controversial history, uh, issue in that generally the Hungarian league attracts, obviously in non-pandemic times, something like 2,000, 3,000 crowds. And so it's not so much the Pushkas Arena that's, that's, um, that comes in from criticism. It's more stadiums in much smaller towns where the crowds aren't, aren't going to justify the, um, you know, the expense of building the stadium. Yeah, because, I mean, the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, is a, is a hugely controversial figure, very right-wing populist. And, it, and it's fair to say that he's used football to boost his own popularity. He's diverted a lot of public funds into building new stadiums, not just in Hungary, but you mentioned Slovakia and the, you know, the Hungarian part of Slovakia. So he's sort of spreading his tentacles out in this sort of football empire, isn't he? And using football to, to boost his popularity. Is that, is that fair or is it controversial? It's both fair and controversial, you know. Um, so, yes, you're right. He's... he's um... They've built stadiums outside of the Hungarian, Hungary's modern-day borders um, in areas that were part of hung, the old Hungarian kingdom before the end of first, the First World War. Examples being um, Osijek has got a new one being built, that's in um, Dunai Sedehe, Dunai Streda. that's an entirely new stadium. There are other examples um, currently in Transylvania way down um, in the centre of Romania, but in a Hungarian-speaking um, part of Romania, there's, there's a whole new stadium being built there it's in Sepsisian Church. So it's a very controversial, and no, it's a very controversial um, point. And um, 
nobody quite knows the, the financial ins and outs of all this. Um, and the general feel is that this is money generally that should be being spent on, on hospitals, schools, et cetera, et cetera. You know? um, but then again, if Hungary do well or, or perform well in the Euros, that, that's, that's going to change public opinion for sure. Yeah. Now, your, your book, The Rough Guide to European Football, was groundbreaking for me. I think a lot of people, it launched a thousand sort of weekend trips around Europe um, to watch football. What are your feelings? Are you, you, I mean, you, in, in normal times, you visit a lot of stadiums and, and you cover the sort of the whole, whole, you're in this whole genre of football travel writing, aren't you? It, it's, what's your feelings about a pan-European Euros? I know it's, it's going to be a bit of a sort of botched compromise with the pandemic, but is it a future model for tournaments, do you think, that sort of can, can uh, that, that, because you're not going to get many countries, the more teams that take part in tournaments, the, the fewer countries can, can actually host the tournament on their own. So is this a model for the future, I think, and, and one that will be enjoyable for more people? Yes and no. I mean, if you look at the cities originally chosen for the original Euro 2020, these are generally cities that are very used to, to seeing top-class football and um, the, the big-name stars, you know, um, Rome, Munich, London. You know, the, um, these are cities I'm very used to seeing the, the biggest names in the game. I think where it's... I think, I think the real revolution happened, I think, for France 98, if memory serves, where Platini, who was also responsible for, the, for, for spreading these venues out for this tournament, Platini decided that instead of the, the previous system of having the group games based in two cities, roughly, within easy reach of each other, his idea was to revolve the whole thing completely and so that someone from Bordeaux could see six, eight different teams from all over the world um, his focus was on the was not so much on how easy it was for teams to have a training centre and be close to these cities. His focus was actually on the fan in Bordeaux or the, just the general public in Bordeaux or wherever, you know, the French cities, to see as much interesting, different world football as possible. And that's transformed how tournaments are set up. So even, I mean, I think the next in line is Germany is next in line for the for the next euros whenever that will be um and turkey were also bidding for it but you're right now that the um these tournaments are, are so unwieldy you you either you're a, one of five big big countries football wise and, and geographical wise or you need to share the, the tournament i think it works well in a shared tournament with say two countries say as for example holland belgium um, not such Poland, Ukraine, the distances were huge. Although Hungary, Croatia was bidding for that same tournament, unfortunately. So it might work well in a, in a group of two or three countries, I think, where the logistics are, you know, are much easier. Because, I mean, you know, Wales fans, if they go and if it works out, are going to have to, I think, I think they're in Baku, you know, which is, you know, that's, that's like the other side of Asia. It's a long way, you know. So, um, you know, I think I think ideally these finals should be staged with with fans in mind, basically. Yeah, yeah. And Budapest will be hosting Hungary's games and possibly other games because at the moment we don't know whether Bilbao and Dublin and Munich will, will go ahead with their games and, and, and Budapest having hosted Champions League games is in a strong position to host other games. So potentially 
Budapest could be hosting a lot of games. Finally, what's your prediction for Hungary in their group? Because it is a, it is by far the toughest group, isn't it? With with Germany, France, uh, and Portugal, but they they will have that crucial home advantage with fans as well. It's looking likely. What's what's your feeling about how the group will go? At the moment, the calendar dictates that the first their first two games are in in Budapest. Mm. The third game with Germany is in Munich. If that takes place in Munich. Now, if that gets switched to Budapest, that is obviously a you know a, a different matter. I mean, they you know Hungary drew with Portugal in a really good game in, in Euro twenty sixteen and played really well. You know, Ronaldo's not young anymore. Um, they, you know, they, they could definitely. I, I'm sure they could they could get a draw against Portugal with you know the right rubber, the green, and all sorts. France, I would I personally see France as the major favourites for this tournament. You know, Mbappe is just. Phenomenal. I, I can't see Hungary uh, stopping France, but you know, such is such is the um, the kind of chaos swirling around um, Germany right now in terms of like horrendous defeats and the departure of Löw. You know, I think they could even in Munich they could maybe spring a surprise against Germany. They could maybe sneak through the, the group. You know, and then it's any anyone's game really. You know, I think on their day, um, and certainly if playing in Budapest, they Hungary could apart from France maybe. Um, they, they could they could almost beat anyone or certainly hold anyone to a draw. Interesting. Peter John, thanks so much for your time. It's um, been fascinating to talk Hungarian football. I'm looking forward one day to making it to Budapest <laughs> in a stadium full of fans and to enjoy your company as well. Wonderful, Gary. I hope we can do that this tournament. Thanks ever so much for your time. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, And you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.